The sponsor for this episode is Whoop. If you haven't heard of Whoop, it is a fitness tracker that provides personalized daily insight into recovery, strain, and sleep. Uh, And this has provided some really cool, actionable data. I've been using it personally. There's a ton of PGA Tour players that are using it. You've probably seen Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, and others wearing it. Um, And here's kind of what I take away the most is, is number one, sleep and recovery. So every morning, you can uh, look at your phone, go into the app, look at the data, and it'll tell you kind of how your recovery was. Are you ready to take on a lot of strain that day? Should you relax a little bit more and make take really better actions based on how your body is doing? And then strain, this will let you know of how hard is your body actually working. Is that workout that you're doing, is there enough strain? Is there not enough? And look at all those different things. Um, In the golf context, uh, just the other day, really interesting, I found that playing nine holes walking was the same amount of strain as playing 18 holes riding in a cart. There's so many good things from Whoop. You should check it out. We got 15% off your Whoop membership, code GSL, 15% off GSL. Head over to whoop.com and check that out. Definitely recommend picking one up. We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We are diving back into research. It's been a while, gotten away from this a little bit, but I want to get back to sharing some stuff that I'm finding really interesting going around in the the academic world. It's based on conversations that we've had over the past year or two with coaches and players. I want to try to look now the other way. We've heard a bunch of good stories. Let's look at the research. Let's see what that is saying. And the place that we are starting today is with a researcher out of Tel Aviv, actually. His name is Gal Ziv, and he has done some interesting work on gaze behavior and then also on enhanced or diminished expectancies. So I am excited about this. We're actually going to break this up into two different episodes. We're going to talk first about this enhanced or diminished expectancies. And really what this is all about is... Do you think that you're doing well during your practice or do you think that you're not doing well and and being pushed more? And I think this is kind of goes against our common stereotype or potentially our common best practice that we've thought of in the coaching and athletics world, but has some good perspective here, which I think we can improve our practice, improve our training with. So we're going to dive into this and then and make sure to subscribe next week. We are going to talk a bit about gaze behaviors and quiet eye, which is just key if you want to get better at putting. So two great episodes with Gall. Excited that he spent the time with us and shared so much great info. All right, let's get into it. Basically, what we do with with the enhanced expectancies is trying to see if, in this specific research, is to see whether if you give participants an easier criteria for success, whether or not it will help them perform better. Perform and learn. Now, this is a very important distinction between performance and learning. We should you know, talk about it just a little bit. Performance is everything I do right now. For example, if I practice golf, I might perform really well during practice. But this doesn't necessarily mean that if I test myself three days ahead or four days or a week later, I'll still do well. Learning is the long-term 
retention of what I tried to learn or what I practiced. So there are instances where during practice, you're doing really well, but then when you test yourself a week later, you're not doing well. And it may be the opposite as well. You may perform not as well during practice, but you find out about a week later that you learn pretty well in, your, in, in a retention test to see how you retain the skill, you're doing better than others. Here, what we did is we put some circles in two, basically two sizes of circles around a, a target on a green. One is a small circle and one is a larger, seven centimeters in diameter and 14 centimeters in diameter, just like what uh, you described in uh, well, Palmer and Wolf study. And we told participants that if the ball, when they put it, lands within the circle, even if it's not that close to the target, they're doing well. So we had a group who did that with the 14 centimeter target and a group that did it with a seven centimeter target. And obviously, and we had a control group who did it with no targets at all. And obviously, the, the, the group that practiced with the 14 centimeter target were able to get more golf balls to land within the, this circle. And while they practice, they practice uh, a few dozen uh, parts during, uh, during their training. And then two days later, two days later, we brought them back into the lab and we asked them to putt again from the same distance first, which was um, at the distance was uh, two meters. And then we asked them to uh, do the same thing, and then again, as a transfer pass from two and a half meters. And we found that the participants who practice with the large circle around the hole were better than the ones who practiced with the smaller target around the hole. I'm sorry, by the way, the, the distances here were one and a half meters and 1.8 meters, not 2.5. So basically, those who practice with, a, with an easier task criteria were able to perform better two days later in a transfer test instead of 150 centimeters from the hole, 180 centimeters from the hole. And this is something that we see in other studies as well, where you produce a situation where a, 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 an individual feels that he is doing well or perceives that he is doing well, he actually learns better. But that's about it in this study. We did another study, just very similar to this one, but this time we took larger circles and we put them around a real golf hole, uh, which is 10.8 centimeters, the, the actual golf hole. And uh, we, we got the same results. With a larger circle, people did better on a transfer test compared to, a, uh, to the participants who practiced with a smaller circle around a hole. This is fantastic. I guess kind of a question is, does this same principle carry out throughout any, you know, task or skill that folks are learning outside of golf? Is this kind of a known principle or concept? That's a really good question. When we talk about golf putting, we talk about a, a closed, we call it a closed self-paced task. It's closed, meaning that really nothing changes. You know, the ball stays in one place, the hole is in one place, there's no defense, nothing moves, and self-paced because you decide whenever you want to putt. No one tells you, no one uh, tells you when to do it. And we have certain tasks that are similar to this, for example, dart throwing, or billiard, for example, you know, pool. 
There are a few studies on dart throwing who haven't found the same thing. So they did find that when you present a larger target and tell people that uh, this is their target, which is larger, you find that their perceived expectancies of success are indeed higher. But in those specific studies, and it's two, two studies from, uh, from a lab in, uh, in Canada, they haven't found that it relates to better performance at all. So it's interesting to see that there's still a lot to learn about how en enhanced expectancies of success really affect performance. One of the reasons is that human behavior is a very complex thing, especially when you talk about a very specific motor skill that you should learn. It is affected by so many variables. And just, just to name a few, it, it can be some personal traits, anxiety, and stuff like that. And then it could be, for certain tasks, it be reaction time. And just the difficulty of the task will matter a lot. So if the enhanced expectancies work at paths from two meters, for example, um, I don't know if it will work the same from four meters or five meters or something like that. Obviously, if you putt from, I don't know, just, you know, just for the sake of the example, if you putt for 30 centimeters, it really doesn't matter. You know, it'll, it'll get in. Before I started uh, doing this research, I looked at the at PGA Tour statistics, and I saw that even for the best putters out there, above a certain threshold of distance from the hole, the putting percentages drop. Perhaps you know that better than, better than me. And then it's interesting to see whether it, it, it is affected differently by different skill levels, for example, different distances. And just to remind you that this was done in a lab on a flat surface. I'm not sure how people behave when there's a slope involved, where in many instances in real life, in real competition, there is a slope, a certain slope. And this can relate, uh, if you want to jump around a little bit, so it relates also to the gaze behavior studies that uh, we and other, others do, which most of them really take place on flat surfaces, on an artificial green in the lab, which is not exactly what it is in real life. Before we jump to that, on this expectations thing, would you suggest that we carry this concept beyond putting to whether it's you know hitting a driver or hitting an iron shot and applying the same concept of you know, having a wider range of what is acceptable or what is good in a coaching scenario? Like, would you suggest that this carries throughout beyond putting? The simple answer is yes, because if it works here, there's no reason why it would work in other tasks like driving over or whatever, something like that. I have to be careful, though, and this is the longer answer. Like I said before, there are some studies that show that even though not necessarily involved, but it for the sake of the conversation, it really doesn't matter. Some studies show that enhanced expectancies don't work, which means that there is a great potential for this to help people who are involved. It's going to be up to the coach to stay on top of the literature that is added all the time and find out what is the best evidence-based practice right now. Because when you look at this from a practical point of view, and again, there are coaches and practitioners who do that, I'm sure. You have a, limit, a limited amount of time to practice. In that amount of time, you should try and find the best evidence-based practice you can. In the case of an expectancy, there's really nothing to, that 
that you can lose from it. There's no reason not to do it. The only thing I can, I can tell you is that if the uh, criteria or the criterion is too loose and it's too easy, you will probably not get anything. There's something about when you learn a new, a new task, a new skill, there's something about how much information you need or you need to perceive or uh, cognitively assess during training. If there's too much, it might hinder your advancement. If it's too little, it will not, let, it will not allow you to learn much. So it's up to the coach to challenge the golfer enough so he gets new information and learns, but not too much. Have you heard of the concept of challenge point then? Is kind of what you're mentioning? That's exactly what I'm pointing. Yeah, the classic paper of Guadagnoli in late 2004, the challenge point. Uh, this is just that. And you can reach that challenge point by, by manipulating many variables. That specific paper, they talk a lot about contextual interference, but it, and feedback, but it doesn't have to be that. And it has to do a lot with motivation as well. I mean, if you look at enhanced expectancies, enhanced expectancies can be accomplished not just by changing the criteria of the task, just by, you know, letting people know, you know, you're going to putt right now, but I know you might not put the ball inside the golf hole, but if it lands anywhere around 10 centimeters around the hole, you're doing well, good for you. We'll, we'll continue from there. So that's, all, that's one way of doing it. There's other ways, like giving positive feedback rather than negative feedback. We know that it helps uh, increase motivation, increase self-efficacy. And when you increase motivation, increase self-efficacy, this is often related to better effort on, you know, on the, by the golfer or the participant or whoever, and, and sometimes better attention and better uh, care of uh, what you're doing. Uh, for example, there are visual illusions sometimes you can use to change the perception of the whole size. You can make the whole look larger if you put really small circles around it. It's called the Ebbinghaus house illusion, or you can put large circles around it and then it looks smaller. And if you actually put small circles around as the, the, the golf hole, which is, again, 10.8 centimeters, then when you ask people later, what's the size of the hole, it'll look bigger than that. And they will learn better because of it as well. There are a few studies that have shown that. Gotcha, gotcha. So kind of layering on top of your study with challenge point, would you change, for instance, like the size of the circles that you put around the hole uh, or the, the size of the circles you used as the targets based on the skill level of the golfers you were doing that test with? Or if you were training with somebody, you would change those those circles potentially based on skill level? Yeah, that's something that we're trying, we want to find out uh, uh, now is whether or not there is a, a certain threshold of the circle size above which everyone succeeds and just too easy. From our studies, we saw just the, just the ballpark with the large, which are large circles, you see around maybe 20 or 25% of success of the balls landing within the circles. I'm talking about novices who've never putted before. This is the first time they held a golf club. And with the smaller circle, you see sometimes less than 10% of the balls that land within the circle. So we're talking about maybe two to three balls out of each block of 10 pots that land within the circle, which is considered success or one or sometimes, or sometimes less. In the second study, we had the success rate was larger for the large hole. We had 
over 30% of success. And in that case, we saw that it didn't differ much from a control group practiced with no circles at all. And again, this relates to the concept of challenging enough compared to non, not challenging at all. So if, you're, if you manage to put five out of 10, uh, maybe it's just too much, maybe it's too easy. So I don't know the answer for that yet, but we're looking to examine this in future study. Gotcha, gotcha. And I think it's interesting, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this, but as you know, athletes or coaches, we're always used to this philosophy of being pushed to do better are always told it's not good enough, you know, we can try again, do better. And this kind of, you know, goes in the face of that kind of stereotype or common practice a little bit, but it's really interesting. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts on that, that concept of this breaking away from our common sport kind of attitude, I guess, maybe a little bit? Well, the comment I can give you about that is that I think that coaches and the literature shows this as well. It's, um, in human behavior and animal behavior, try to be as positive as possible. Try to emphasize the good things rather than the bad things. There are many, many papers that show that positive reinforcement or positive feedback is better than negative. Now, there are, again, this, there's always an interaction between those findings and the individual participant. Because I have to remind you that, that when we do research, we take the averages of groups. And within each group, the, there will always be the person that will be better than another person in another group, even though it wasn't supposed to be like that. For example, there are certain individuals that if you give a negative feedback, they will use it to motivate themselves. But others, when you give them negative feedback, they will kind of shut down. And apparently, at least according to the research I'm aware of, more people will shut down than uh, thrive with negative feedback. And I think that as a species in general, we tend many times to concentrate on the negative things. When everything goes well, we kind of accept it and sometimes we don't, we don't even say a thing. When something goes wrong, we tell the person, look, this was wrong. You should do that. You should change this. And I say, and, and I, I think that we should kind of change it. And most of the time, concentrate on saying, what you did here was really well. This is exactly how you were supposed to do it. And you can give an exact example of what was, was done well. Or, again, related to enhanced expectancies, if you videotape the individual during they pat or doing doing whatever they do, and then you later show them the video. Instead of showing them the bad things, you can show them the good things. And uh, as far as I know, it should work better. <laughs>